At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This Christmas season, we invite you to look deeper into the incredible covenants God made with His people in Scripture. Tune into our current series, Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavish, to discover God's unwavering promises to meet the ultimate longings of our heart and ultimately renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. This is Genesis chapter 9, beginning at verse 8. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, birds, livestock, and all wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all future generations. I have placed my bow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds, and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. And this is the word of God. Let's pray together. God of grace, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy on us and for the opportunity to hear your voice today. We thank you, Lord, that you are patient with us, and so we would ask this morning, Father, that you would again speak, and that we would hear you, and that we would see your great grace to us in Christ. Help build anticipation in our hearts for what Jesus has done, and may there be faith that is produced. May your spirit work within us, so give us open ears, give us humble hearts, and give us ready hands to serve and please you in all things. And I pray now, Lord, that you would help me, and give me clarity, and would you speak today, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, have you ever longed for or wanted just a fresh start? You needed a redo or a, a, a start over on something that was going on in your life, and you just look at it and you go, I wish I could have reversed time, gone back just a little bit, and started all over again. It just didn't start out with, right, or didn't come out the way you wanted, or just kind of got goofy in the middle, and, and you go, you know, I just, I just want to start over. I, I want to restart on that. I, I was recently listening to a new album of one of my favorite bands, and uh, the, uh, some artists that I really enjoy, I was really excited about it because it was a live album from a, a prominent theater, and I thought, man, this is going to be just a great live album, and I knew that they had recorded on that album one of my favorite songs, and so I, I was just ready to like, yes, I'm going to soak it in, I'm going to enjoy this song and all that's there. And really, really just love it. And um, some of my some of my team, I don't they don't say this too often, but some of the staff team here now knows that, that when there's a good song on my stereo downstairs, I I will start singing along with it. And so this one was coming on, and I was uh, particularly excited about belting out uh, the chorus with this particular song. And so the artist got into it, and he started going. And about four measures in, he stops, and he's, he's just like, "I forgot the words." I don't, to his own song even. And I'm like, "How do you forget your own words to your own song?" Which 
is my favorite song. And, and so I thought he was just going to restart the whole song. Like, okay, let's go back to the very beginning. I'll pick it up again and we'll start it over. But no, he doesn't. In the song, on this live recording, he keeps going. He kind of mumbles it along. And then he keeps going and keeps moving on with the song. It was disappointing to me. It broke up my opportunity to belt it out and sing real loud. And I, I just wanted him to restart. Just stop where he's at. Go back to the beginning, start all over again. Maybe that's how you feel about this year. You're like, look at it and you go, the decisions that we've had to make, the choices that have happened, the things that have gone down this year. Can we just hit restart on 2020, go all the way back to the beginning, like reverse it all, and we'll just play it out differently this time. We'll make it better. It'll be a, a different year, a better year. And to that, I'm ready to say, no, I'm not ready to restart 2020. Let's just get to 2021 and move on and begin a new year, a new thing uh, for us in that way. But there's often this longing in our hearts. I think you would be honest uh, with yourself and with me this morning to say, at times, we'd like to start over. We want to kick it off right. As I mentioned, we're beginning a new series uh, for the season of Advent called Gift Wrapped, From Longing to Lavished. And, and the reality is that there are core longings that each of us as human beings have. There, there are things within our hearts, there are desires within our hearts, passions within our hearts, things that we long to see come to fruition in our lives that, that we look all over the place for. We long for our, our desires to be met in the things of this world and other people, in, in prominence and status. And, and yet the reality is those longings will not fully be met unless they are met in God himself. And God in his grace and love for us has given us great and precious promises that have all been fulfilled in Christ. And he's established these promises or what we call the covenants to turn those longings into deep places of grace where God has lavished his kindness and goodness on us. We're going to spend some time over the next four Sundays looking at four specific, five specific actually covenants. They're the backbone of the scriptures. They, they frame out the story of the Bible for us to help us see God's grace and his patience and his goodness in sending Jesus a savior for us. So let's go back to that original question. How do we get a fresh start? How do we hit reboot on our lives? Maybe you feel like it just everything is horrible. Maybe you look at yourself and go, I'm horrible. I need a fresh start. I need a, a new start. And I need to be made completely new. Let me ask you the question this way. Have you ever thought about it this way? That perhaps God wants a reboot too. Like, have you ever thought that maybe God himself wants to restart and, and redo everything? Maybe that's how you read the story of the flood, which we saw graphically portrayed on the cartoon uh, this morning in Genesis. God's fed up with humanity. He's tired of us. He's tired of our games and our sin and our rebellion and our stupidity. And so like a tired old TV series, he just wipes everything out and reboots the whole series. He's ready to bring something in, something new. Is that really what the story tells us? Well, let me, let me retell it. Let me go back to it again. Maybe you remember the story, but, but we begin the story in Genesis 6. This is where we get a view in on what God is seeing about humanity and our condition. And we find in Genesis 6 that things on earth are not good. It's, it's a really, really bad deal. In fact, Genesis 6, 5 says that when the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread, that it was universal on the earth, and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, God decided to take action. 
Consider that statement about human nature, that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Every, nothing but, all the time. You just get the sense that sinfulness and wickedness pervades absolutely every part of humanity. It covers us all. And God sees that humanity is so bad he sees that we're so inherently wicked, we're totally depraved. He's like, okay, reboot, let's press the button. He makes a decree, Genesis 6-7, and the Lord said, I will wipe mankind, whom I created, off the face of the earth, together with the animals, the creatures that crawl, and the birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. I mean, that's the story here. We are so wicked. Humanity is so horrible that God looks at us. He looks at his creation that has turned against him completely. And as a righteous king and judge, he's like, I'm going to wipe it out. Just wipe it out completely. I am sorry I made them. They have destroyed it so terribly. Let's restart. Wipe everything out. And yet the scripture tells us there was a man named Noah. Noah was distinct. In fact, the scripture there in Genesis 6 says that God found favor with Noah. Well, what was that about? How is there this individual that God finds favor with? Noah found favor with the Lord. What happened there? Well, there's nothing about Noah before that statement in the Bible. And catch this, this is so important. God didn't look at Noah because Noah was a righteous man and he did a lot of good things. God didn't look at Noah and say, he is the most religious person ever. I want to have him on my team. All we know about Noah is that God found favor with Noah, that, that Noah found favor with God. God showed his grace to Noah first. He loved Noah. And there's nothing to say about why God loves Noah, except for the fact that God loved Noah. God showed favor to Noah. And so God came and he spoke to Noah and he said to Noah, Noah, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build this, this massive boat because I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to wipe out all mankind, all creatures, and I want to save you. And I want to save your family. And so God instructed Noah to build the ark of gopher wood and he gave him specific instructions about that. And again, catch the pattern. Noah found favor with God. Noah believed God, and he obeyed God, and he built the ark. Here at the very beginning of the scriptures is the gospel pattern laid out. It's the gospel order for us. We don't come to God. God doesn't love us because of how good we are, or the deeds that we do, or how wise we are, or, or religiously perfect we are. God loves us first and foremost, and he calls us to believe his word. God gave Noah a word. I'm going to judge the earth, but you can be saved, Noah, and so what did Noah do? He believed God. He, he dumped all his faith into who God is. He believed God. And as God instructed him about how to be saved, he believed God's instruction. He trusted God's instruction and he obeyed God. He followed through. His obedience was a demonstration of his faith. In fact, Genesis 6.22 says that Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. So he built the ark. He built it according to the instructions God gave him. And when the time came, God brought the animals to Noah. And the ark was filled with a representative or two from every kind of creature on the earth. This is what Genesis 7, 15 says. Two of every creature that has the breath of life in it came to Noah and entered the ark. And those that entered, male and female of every creature, entered just as God had commanded him. The Lord shut them in. 
Every animal, every creature on the earth, all kinds of them came to the ark, two by two. They came in, the Lord shut them in and protected them. Now here's where the story gets a little scary for us. Just as God had promised that he had declared would happen, and remember, God keeps his promises. He does what he says he will do. The flood came. And the, the deep places of the earth broke open. The rivers broke their banks. The ocean overflowed. The waters deluged the earth. It covered the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Nonstop, incessant, pounding rain. 40 days and 40 nights. And the deluge and water covered everything on the earth. Even the highest mountains were covered. And everything perished. Every human being died. Every creature on earth, bird, animal, livestock, insect, wiped out. Everything perished. Genesis 7, 23 says that God wiped out every living thing that was on the face of the earth. From mankind to livestock to creatures that crawl to the birds of the sky, they were wiped off the earth. Only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark. Only what was on that little boat on a planet of water survived and were saved because God chose to save them, because God showed them his grace. Now, they were in that boat. We sometimes think that the story is just like 40 days, 40 nights in a boat with a bunch of animals and eight family members, and that's all you got for just 40 days. They were really in that boat for much longer, nearly a year they were in that little ark together. We think it's been forever in the pandemic here. They were in it all the longer. Nearly a year later, the waters began to recede enough that there was dry ground so that Noah and his family and all the animals could leave the ark and start fresh. God brought them out of the ark, and Noah built an altar to God, and he worshiped the Lord. And there God spoke to Noah, and he made a promise to him. This is Genesis 8, 21 and 22. God, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter and day and night will not cease. Now what God has done here is he's made a promise. He started with himself. And again, I want to emphasize that when God makes promises, he keeps them. But what's interesting here is that God does more than just make a promise. Some promises that we make are very informal. Like when my kids say to me, I promise I'll clean my room. Or when I say to Stephanie, I promise I'll pick up milk from the store on the way home from work. Or when you tell me a secret and I promise you that I'll not tell anybody else the secret you shared with me. Those are informal promises. We expect one another to keep them. But what God does here at Genesis 9 is take the promise to a deeper level. Some promises are very, very formal. They need to be surrounded with ceremonial elements to highlight and elevate the nature of the promise. This is what we call a covenant. It's what God does here with Noah. He establishes a very formal, surrounded with some specific elements, some ceremonial elements, to establish firmly in our minds his authority and his desire to keep what he has promised and to give us a fixed way of grasping on to his goodness and his faithfulness. God establishes a covenant with Noah. 
It's not just saying, not just God saying, you know what, I, I promise I'll never flood the earth again. God enters into a deep relationship with the people that he covenants with. A covenant is a relationship of importance. Not just a, a glib promise out there to not flood the earth again, but it's a relationship that God enters into with his people. And here's where this story connects with what we're exploring this month. The covenant that God makes with his people for our good that we can see. And I want to take this passage this morning that I've read and just explore through God's interaction with Noah here what this covenant is, what a covenant looks like, and to help us see God's faithfulness to us. Now, to do that this morning, and since we're calling this series Gift Wrapped, we've got some gifts here. And so, kids, if you're here with us this morning, I've got something special for you. There's three gifts over here. I know all of you children were eyeballing those gifts when you came in this morning. You're like, who are they for? Well, they can be for you, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to unwrap one gift with each point this morning. And in your bag that you received today, I hope you got one from the table back there in the kid's bag, there's a card. You can just write your name on that card. If you don't have one of those bags, go get one now. You can write your name on one of those cards. And then after the service this morning, there's some, of those, there's some boxes out there that correspond to one of these gifts. Take your name and put it in the uh, box that you want to win the gift, okay? And I'll unwrap them one by one so you can see what it is. And Miss Heather, after, uh, after the services today, she'll have a little raffle and uh, we'll have some winners of some of these great gifts, okay? This will help us get in our minds the story here this morning. Okay, so we're going to talk about covenants this morning. And each covenant has three particular things that need to go along with it, all right? So let's figure out what the first thing is. Well, the covenant has to do with a relationship, right? It's not just some sort of informal transaction that happens in there. A covenant is a relationship. So there has to be people that receive the covenant relationship or covenant recipients. So, okay, we're going to start with understanding from the scripture what the covenant relationship is. And this little gift here is going to help us figure this out. The first present, as we're unwrapping some gifts, talks about who the covenant recipients are. We've got a magnet board here with Noah and his ark and all these animals, and those are the recipients of the covenant here, okay? So if you want to win this, you just write your name on that card, and you put it in the box that relates to the covenant recipients, Noah and his animals in the ark there. Okay, who are the covenant recipients? Let's go to the scripture here, verses 8 through 10. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him. So God has spoken this promise to himself. That's what we, happened in chapter 8. God he saw, smelled the aroma of the altar, and he said to himself, I'm not going to curse the ground. But now God brings Noah and his family in on this covenant. Verse 8, God said to Noah and his sons with him, Understand that I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, birds and livestock and all the wildlife of the earth that are with you, all the animals of the earth that came out of the ark. Now, here's where God interacts with what's happening here. He says to Noah, to his sons, this covenant is for you. Notice in verse 9, he, he connects it here. God, he emphasizes this again and again and again. He makes this formal promise. He says, I am establishing my covenant with you. It's there in verse 9. In verse 11, I establish my covenant with you. There it is. Verse 15, I will remember my covenant between me and you. And verse 17, God said to know this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every living creature on earth. Why this repetition here? 
Well, that's the Hebrew way in writing of emphasizing something that's really important here. It's like the bold or italicized or underlined parts of a text. They didn't do that. They just repeated it again and again. God wants to get it into Noah's mind, his son's mind, creatures of the earth. This covenant is for you. But this covenant extends beyond just Noah and his sons and family. God says, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant goes on and on and on. When you consider that the flood wiped out all human life except Noah and his family, so Noah, his wife, their three sons, and then three wives, so eight people in total, you see that all of humanity, modern humanity, our today included, we descend from Noah. Here's the great reboot or the great restart. We have Adam, our first father, but we also have Noah as a singular father over the current human race as well. God is saying something to us in this. He's saying this covenant is for you. You and I are the recipients of the covenant that God has made with Noah. Now, if you consider just how long ago that was, you know, 2,000 years to Christ, and then probably another 4,000 or maybe a little bit longer back to Noah himself, this is a 7,000-year-old covenant that's including us today. God is, God is holding back something for us. He's holding forth something for us. And it's not just with humanity, but it's with every living creature there. God mentions this. Every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wildlife of the earth. God's covenant extends not just to humanity, but to the animal kingdom as well. God's adamant. He's clear. He says it over and over again. You are in on this. And this is good news for us today. What God said to Noah and his sons back so long ago, he says to us today, you're in on this story. You're in on this covenant. God is wanting to lean into a relationship with you and with me through this promise. And that's the good news here. God's promises are for us and he wants to be explicit in what he says to us. We're in on what he is doing in the world. I'm establishing my covenant with you. God wants and desires relationship here with us. And so he's making promises to us. And that takes us to the second thing that's involved in a covenant. You have the people that are a part of it. So you have God and humanity and all the creatures of the earth, including us. We're in on this. And then you have the promises. You need the what of the covenant itself. Well, what is the promise? So let's go over here to get the second gift. Find out here what's the promise that God is making. This is a cool one. It's a globe. Okay, but what is God saying about the globe? Is he just saying, here's a planet? No, he's got a, a covenant about this planet. He's got a promise for us uh, regarding this, this planet. Here's the what of the covenant, and it's in verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you, so he says it again, that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. That's pretty clear, right? God says that never again will every creature be wiped out by floodwaters. The rains won't come to such a degree that every creature on the earth, human being, part of the animal kingdom, insect, bird, whatever it is, will be wiped out and destroyed. Now, this is helpful for us because this is a word of stability in our times. I don't know if you've ever laid awake at night when there's been a storm and heard the rain hitting the roof, running through the gutters, and you've just gone, 
I think this is the flood that's going to wipe out everybody. You know, maybe it might rain for a couple days, and you think, that's a pretty big downpour. But imagine rain day after day after day after day for 40 days. You might think it's never going to stop. And here God, in speaking to Noah, to his family, to us today, he's saying, you know what, you don't have to worry about that when it rains again. It may rain for a little while. Yeah, there might be localized flooding, and that might include a few lost lives, but never again, God says, am I going to hit reboot on the planet. I'm never going again flood the earth in such a way that it destroys everything. You don't have to worry about it when it rains. God will never wipe the, sleet, wipe the slate clean like this again. In fact, if anything, God has promised that there would be a preserved order and pattern to the world. God here is planning and, and promising to hold back his hand for us. He, he's, plan, he's promising to give us stability. Go back with me to Genesis 8, 21 and 22. When God heard, he smelled the aroma of Noah's sacrifice. He says, I'm not going to do this again. And then he establishes something in verse 22. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer, and I wish he would have just said summer and fall and just like skip winter, but that's in there, so it's biblical. Day and night will not cease. This is a plan of stability, a promise of stability for the whole earth until God is concluding what he is doing here. That there will be day and night, there will be seed time and harvest, there will be summer and winter throughout history. God's preserved order will be there. And this is what the natural sciences have been built on. The fact that we can study things like the seasons, things like... uh, Farming and agriculture, things like day and night, and even the stars themselves have been built on the preserved order of God. He's keeping all things in pattern according to his promise for us. So we have the recipients. Okay, let's go back here. We have the covenant recipients. It's all humanity, every creature on the earth. We have the promise itself that God will never wipe out all living things by flood again. And he'll preserve the life and the cycles of the earth. All right, well, we need a third thing in a covenant. That's the last gift over here. It has to do with a covenant sign. And you might say, what's a covenant sign Uh, in this way? Well, let's find out what it is. Here's the third gift, the covenant sign. Hey, look, it's a rainbow. (laughs) It's it's, uh, some rainbow blocks that you can play with, all right? So that's the third gift, kids, that you could register or, or sign up to win in the raffle there. What is this covenant sign that God wants to, to show here? Maybe to help you figure this out, you'll remember that if, when you go to a wedding, some things happen, right? You, you see some participants. There's a man and a woman there, okay? Those are the, the people that are entering into this covenant together, and, and they make promises to each other. They share their vows with one another. They, they say, I'll love you in sickness and in health and poverty and wealth, for better or for worse, till death do us part. They'll make those promises. And then to show the sign of their covenant together, because a covenant is deeper than just a promise of like, hey, I'll get milk for you from the store. To show the promise and the, the symbol of their covenant together, they exchange rings. I've been wearing this ring on my uh, left hand for 15 plus years now to remind me and to remind others who see that, that I made a covenant to my wife, Stephanie, of marriage. 
They, these rings, these covenants have these signs. Here is the same thing in God making this covenant with Noah and his family and all humanity and every creature on the earth. He provides a sign that demonstrates that he's going to keep his covenant. That This is how, how serious and how important this is. What's the sign here? Look with me at verses 12 through 17. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. So we've got the entire participants in the covenant, everybody. It's a covenant for all future generations. So it includes us today. God says, I have placed my bow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the permanent covenant between God and all the living creatures on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and every creature on earth. Now look at what God is saying here. He's saying he'll set his bow in the clouds. We refer to this phenomenon as a rainbow. We see it. We see the colors of it in the clouds. Sometimes we, we get the view of the double rainbow, and that just like blows our minds that that could happen, and the way the light and the water refract one another, and there it is. But the Hebrew word here isn't just talking about the rainbow in the sky. The Hebrew word here for bow is a word used to describe a warrior's bow, an archery bow. It's an instrument of warfare and of death. It's a weapon. So get the scene with me of what God is saying here. Here's the sign. God has gone to war against humanity because of their sinfulness and their rebellion. And he wipes out humanity and every creature on the earth because of their rebellion. He, he judges completely. He takes out his bow and he fires his arrows of justice and wrath upon the earth that deserves his justice and wrath. He fires his bow on a people who have rebelled against him. But now after seeing that, he says to Noah and to his family, to us today, I'm putting my bow away. I'm setting my bow in the clouds. And it's gonna be a sign of this covenant that I have with you. Whenever I look at the bow. Whenever I form the clouds over the earth and I see that bow, my bow, my warrior's bow in the clouds, I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember that I'll never cause a flood to destroy every creature. God here, in the sign that he is giving to us, is showing us his patience. He's preserving us. God as a warrior sets his bow on the shelf never to take it, up, take it up again. He sets his bow in the clouds and by doing so he signs and signifies a way of relationship with all creatures. And we might think in verse 15 the word remember here has this idea of bringing to mind something that has been forgotten. But that's not what the Hebrew word remember means. It means a commitment to act on a covenant that you've made with a partner. To remember here isn't to say, I forgot, and then I will do something. It's to say, no, I know that, and I see it, and I will act upon it. God doesn't forget his promises. Remember that. But when the rainbow is seen, God acts upon what he has committed himself to do. The rain comes down. It gets really, really wet around here. 
the floodwaters rise and the bow comes out. And God goes, yes, I'm gonna relent. I'm gonna hold back. The rainbow reminds him and it really reminds us. He will not destroy this earth and its inhabitants with a flood again. In this way, the bow in the clouds is a demonstration of God's patience with us. He has put away his warrior bow, covenanting with us forever. This is an eternal covenant. If you see in verse 16, this is the permanent covenant between God and all living creatures. Eternal covenant. He's promised to never destroy all life by the flood. And his warrior bow is the sign of that. His warrior bow pointed up at heaven himself that if he would violate it, the warrior arrow would strike him. And maybe you've read the story of Noah and you thought about this and you thought, you know, God just got frustrated with human society. And so he's like, I'm going to hit reboot, restart the whole thing, and maybe it'll work out differently. You know, version 2.0 will be better. If you've thought about the story in that way, though, you've forgotten something, something fundamental about who God is, namely that God is perfect in every way. He doesn't make mistakes. So, so why this apparent reboot? It isn't for God to try over again. It's not for God to kind of see if humanity 1.5 or 2.0 can do it better the second time around it. The story of the flood and God's covenant with Noah is a story for all of us it's a covenant of God's posture of patience and mercy towards those who don't deserve it. But why did God bring the flood in the first place? Remember what we said in Genesis 6, 5? What was humanity's condition? That the inclination, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. That was the condition of humanity. Did the flood change that? Did wiping out all... Humankind suddenly turn the inclination of the human mind and heart away from evil all the time? Did Noah go, oh wow, we're going to make it right this time around? No, not at all. Right after Noah and his family leave the ark and he makes this altar to God and he worships, God says this about humanity. Verse 21 of chapter 8. I will never again curse the ground because of human beings, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth onward. The heart hasn't changed. The flood came. Humanity is still the same. Rebellious, in opposition against God. Haters of one another. Murderous. In fact, if you were to read on in chapter 9 and 10 and 11 about the nations, about Noah's family, you'd see the corruption and depravity is there just as much as it was in Genesis chapter 6. Nothing about the heart has changed. The restart here, the new beginning wasn't for God, it was for us. Because now God changes his posture towards us. The covenant was built on a promise that God had made to the first man and woman in their sin. God had spoken to the serpent and he had cursed the serpent and he had promised the serpent that there would be hostility between humanity and our, our adversary, Satan himself. And God promised to humanity, he promised to the woman, he said, from your offspring, one will come and he will strike the head. He will crush the head of our enemy, Satan. God had promised that one would come and make all things new and make all things right. Even though we deserve justice 
and God's wrath immediately. God entering into this covenant with Noah and his family and with all humanity is entering into a new relationship, a relationship of patience. God is bringing himself close, putting away his warrior's bow and saying, I'm going to give myself to this rebellious, murderous, destructive, hate-filled human race. I'm going to covenant myself to them to be patient with them, to be long-suffering, and to let the generations bear out so that I can send a Savior who will fulfill the promise I made on day one, that one would come who would crush the head of Satan. That's what this covenant points us to, to the coming of Christ, to the patience and mercy of God. You see, our rebellion against God, our sin, requires like God would be fully just to flood this earth here and now and wipe us all out again. And he would be just to do it every time we sin. He'd be just to destroy us the moment we sin. And yet he's covenanted patience towards us and long-suffering and mercy so that we could see the Savior, so that we could trust the Savior, so that we could be made new again by Christ who he sent into this world for us and our salvation. And that's what Advent, the season that we celebrate, helps point us towards The Savior is coming who will make all things new. That Christ will come again. He will judge the living and the dead. That Christ again will come and he will take his people to himself. This season that we celebrate, this covenant that we look at, it points us to the reality that the new beginning is found in Jesus alone. Not in a reboot from a flood, but in a patient God who withholds his anger who is long-suffering with his people, who waits, who gives us his word, who gives us his promises, who gives us his love and affection, all to lead us to Jesus himself. Jesus who came and lived perfectly when we had not. Jesus who came and died bearing our sins when we should have taken the warrior arrows of God against us. Jesus being raised to life again so that everyone who looks to Jesus and trusts in the promises of God in Jesus won't find judgment, but like Noah in the boat, will be saved and rescued from the wrath of God. God is drawn near to us through Christ. The covenant Is God leaning in towards us, not distancing himself, saying, I hope you guys figure out how to clean yourselves up, but leaning in towards us, drawing near to us, being God with us so that we would be rescued and saved. So how do we respond? We place our hope in Christ. We we hear of God's patience and his kindness and his love towards us. We believe his promises, his word. We trust him. We obey him. I love the way Peter in 2 Peter 3, 9, thinking on the flood and thinking on the narrative there, he says, the Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but he's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So friends, brothers and sisters this morning, those of you who don't know Christ, the covenant that God has made with you today, because you're a member of the human race, is one of patience, so that you will see his son sent for you, that you will repent 
and that you'll believe and you will draw near to the God who has come and made himself here human for you and for me now. Let's place our hope in him. Let's enjoy his patience and let's trust Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you have placed your warrior's bow in the clouds so that when we see it, we are reminded you're patient and that we repent and we come to you. Thank you for placing your warrior bow in the clouds so that you would remember your promises and that you would send your Savior for us and that you would draw near to us. We thank you for your covenant of patience. Lord, may we not presume upon your patience. May we not take it for granted, but may we humble ourselves and repent and come to you as Noah and his family found salvation in your grace. May too we find salvation in Christ who has come for us. Thank you for your word. May we believe it and obey it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.